Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton. This is episode 34 in our series Freedom from Fear. Who is our enemy? God. I think it would be fair to say that many people believe that they were born as God's friend. And because of this, we do not need to know God since we are already known by him. We are told he is a God of love and he loves everyone. It is all about love, love, love. There's no hell and heaven is open to all. Hell was, we are told, invented by the church. I hear many people say, we are all God's children, which means whatever you want it to mean and nothing, for that is how these nebulous statements are made. When people say this to me, they all earnestly hope this to be the case, and they look at you with aggressive expectancy, which means they want you to nod assent and say, yes, we are all God's children. And the conversation can move on to something more important, such as the news, or the food, or the sport. They never ask me for my view, as they are narcissists. They don't care what my view is, nor do they care to explain to me what it means to be a child of God, for it means nothing to them. The problem is, whether we are the offspring of God, as Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, your friends are right. It means little. In fact, it means nothing. The child of God argument is just the New Testament version of the Hebrew Bible's notion that we are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The author of Genesis, as well as all the authors of the Hebrew Bible, tell us little more than that enigmatic phrase about our identity with God, what the image of God means and how we live in relation to God. There is silence about the metaphysics and the focus is instead in the book of Genesis on the life and lineage of Abraham and his dealings with Yahweh the Lord. Since most people in the West subscribe to the ravings of the plagiarist Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution, it means we were not made in the image of God, nor are we God's offspring. We are products of pure chance. Once again, it does not matter. But the writers of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament agree that God can be known, understood and sought after in a meaningful and life-transforming way. God is not distant, nor is he elusive, nor is he beyond reach. But God is a relational God, a personal God, who dwells among his people. The Bible proclaims that God can be known, that God is knowable, that God is real. The Bible therefore sets out to explain how God might be known, who he is, and why he is interested in us. That is the goal of all the writers of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, to persuade us, the readers, that the true meaning of life is to know God and be known by him. There are three aspects of the argument presented in the New Testament. The first aspect is that while, in this general sense, we are made in the image of God, or are the offspring of God, if you like, we are not born into a relationship with God. 
we are not, by virtue of our life and birth, one with God, we are separate from the life that comes from knowing God. There is distance, there is a gulf, there is space between us. Some say this is because we have a choice and we have free will. These words have little meaning in the New Testament. The idea of free will is too American, too Western. The Bible is clear. We are not endowed with inalienable rights, nor are we friends with God our Creator. The Founding Fathers of America were too busy enslaving Africans, killing the indigenous people, and going to war with England to find time to open their Bible and realize their constitution has no foundation in Holy Scripture. But God is a generous God, and He reveals His character in the world He has made. If you want to see mass formation psychosis at work, then talk to an atheist who can agree with you about the beauty of the world and see only chance. They are among all people most to be pitied, those who can see nothing but emptiness in this beautiful world. We can see, by contrast, through the natural world, the creative character, purpose and power of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Most people in the world believe in a God or some unseen being, some deity that controls all, some all-powerful being. Paul is simply summarising for us what forms this belief may take. For the Bible, this is not sufficient. For the second thing it makes clear is that we are accountable beings in this world God has made. There are consequences to our actions because of the nature we are born with, both in terms of our relationship with others and our relationship with our Creator. As accountable beings, we fall short of our expectations. Nothing we do lasts and we fail to live up to the expectations of others. We are overall focused on ourselves, self-interested, selfish beings that think little of those around us. We make all kinds of excuses, of course, to let ourselves off the hook, such as, nobody's perfect, or Rome wasn't built in a day, or the classic Australian phrase, near enough is good enough, or... I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. We determine our own morality, who is in and who is out, and just look at the world we have made in our own image, not least of which is involving turning this beautiful world into a garbage tip, to the point where we must clean it up so we can continue to live out our selfish lives. The Bible calls this sin, which simply means to fall short of something, to miss the mark. It is this life, these choices, these decisions, this lifestyle of self or sin, that places distance between us and God. We are the ones who are accountable. 
we are the ones responsible for this. Different ideas such as alienation or estrangement or hostility appear in various texts of the Bible to explain the nature of this gulf between ourselves and our Creator. He simply wants nothing to do with us, not because of who we are. We are part of His creation, He loves His world and all that He's made. We were created good, but we wrecked it, and we continue to wreck it. If you are unable to accept the idea that you are personally responsible for your own sin, is that not what you are doing when you seek to protect the environment? You believe the world is ruined, that we are responsible, we are accountable, and we need to make amends. This means you accept far more about personal responsibility and sin than you would admit to yourself. If you apply this principle beyond climate change to your dealings with yourselves and others, how different is your understanding of sin from the way the Bible presents it? The Bible goes as far as to say that we are the enemies of God. This was not said lightly, and it is not said often, but it is admitted, and it is essential for us to understand the nature and evil of sin. It is sin that separates us from the life of God, from a relationship with God and from one another. It certainly has ruined the natural world and continues to do so. How is it that all other creatures on this planet can exist without destroying everything around them? And yet in the last 500 years or so, the West has done nothing but destroy. The third aspect of the Bible's presentation of how to know God and be known by God is that God's love prevailed over his anger. But his anger needed to be satisfied, and for this, his love needed to be proven. The gulf between us and knowing God could only be breached by God himself, and the breaching of this gulf was the broken and rejected body of Jesus. Sin was so awful that an even more awful remedy was needed to break the power of sin, the consequences of sin, and the guilt of sin. The one who stood in the breach for all humanity was Jesus the Christ, God's Son, who lived and died for our sins in our place where we could not. We were unable to help ourselves, so when we were stuck in our sin, God acted and saved us. That is why Jesus is known as the Saviour, because he saved us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 10, You see, at just the right time, where, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Notice in verse 10, Paul writes, For if, while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? There is no escaping this meaning in the Greek. It is clear. There was a time when we were the enemies of God, when hostility and enmity existed between God and his creation. The word in Greek, enemies, means exactly what it says and how we understand the word, hatred, hostility, enemy. An old-fashioned word was enmity. Such was God's anger at sin. Whenever we downplay or minimize sin, we fail to understand God and ourselves. It was only through the death of the Son of God, Jesus, that we were reconciled to God. It was only when we were sinners that Christ died for us, and through Jesus Christ we were saved from God's wrath because of our sin, our enmity with God. God was our enemy, but God sent Christ to die for our sin so that we might live. John makes it clear how these three aspects of knowing God and being known by God pull together in his gospel in John chapter 1 verses 10 to 13. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom from Fear.